And I want to be ready, don't you? And I would say this, that when I hear that phrase, Jesus is coming soon, to me that's not an invitation to hide out in the church, but that's, that's an, should urge us to get moving as a church. I always say, I, I believe Jesus is coming soon, and when Jesus, is, when Jesus arrives, I'm going to be hard at work for him. I'm not going to be idle, and I hope that, that we all feel that way. Well, what's the most extraordinary thing you've ever seen? When you think back at your life, what, what is the most extraordinary thing that you've ever witnessed? Maybe it's something like Niagara Falls. Anybody who's been to Niagara Falls? Or, or the Grand Canyon. Oh, man, the Grand Canyon. Um, what's the most extraordinary thing you've ever seen? There's a lot of physical things. There's a lot of things in nature that, that are extraordinary to see. I can remember I was going through Estes Park, and it was getting towards dusk, and uh, you know Estes Park is in the Rockies, and 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 there was a, a valley just full of elk. I mean, there were hundreds of elk, and they were calling to each other. Anybody ever hear an elk call? Uh, you know, it's really kind of spooky, and it, they were just oh, you know, and it, all all the way across. It was just like oh, that, that's exactly how they sound. By the way. <laughs> I can remember one night waking up in the Rockies and we were camping at um, Kite Lake, which I believe is the highest body fresh water in, the, in North America. And we were camping at Kite Lake and we were just at tree line and, and above us was just rock and dirt and, and it was a full moon and I came out and, and the, the Rockies were just glowing in the stars. It was just beautiful. So there's a lot of extraordinary things. Maybe it's the birth of a child. Um, you know, I'm old school. I believe men should be in the waiting room when that's happening. Uh, who, who agrees with me, guys? Yeah? Oh, my goodness. That was traumatic and extraordinary all at once. The doctor said to me, uh, Paul, would you grab your wife's leg? And then he said, do you need a chair, Mr. Mills? And, uh, you know, I about went over in, in that procedure. A lot of needles and things in there, so not for the faint of heart. That was extraordinary. You know, those kind of things. Maybe that's when you think of the most extraordinary thing that you've ever seen. Your mind goes to that. This past week, I went to the dentist. <laughs> oh, Lord help us. I went to the dentist, and, uh, it, you know, now, now you get estimates when you go to the dentist. It used to be, anybody knows there's a difference? You know, they give you that chart and say, okay, now here's the estimate for what we need to do, like you're a car they're working on or something. <laughs> But when we went to go to the dentist, they, they weren't there, and you know they weren't there yet. And so uh, Spencer went with me, so we had to kill some time. And I went in Dollar Tree. Anybody ever been in Dollar Tree? That is the most awesome place in the world. Everything's a dollar in there. You, you know they don't have pop tarts, but they have toastums, which is just as good as pop tarts, I'm sure. You can get a box of Captain Crunch. It's only like five ounces, but it's a box of Captain Crunch. So I spent some time in, in Dollar Tree. And, and to be honest, Dollar Tree wasn't that extraordinary. It was pretty boring and mundane and ordinary, and we weren't there too long before I was ready to go. Uh, can I be honest? Most of the time, my life feels more like Dollar Tree than the Grand Canyon, right? Is anybody tracking with me? That the most of the time, my life seems more ordinary than extraordinary. My life seems more boring than exciting, more mundane than life or world changing. Now, I would imagine 
in this congregation this morning, we have a mix of people. We have some people that want to be the life of the party, that, that you want to be seen, that, that you, you live for that. I think of Adam Hicks, the movie star. You know, Adam's in movies, and you know, you know he's like that, that Broadway and L.A. scene, and he's in another movie. What's your new movie called, Adam? First Kill. First Kill, okay, good. <laughs> this is a family feature. Um, <laughs> You know, some of you want to be the life of the party, and you know, anytime there's a gathering, you're the center of attention. Some of us would prefer to kind of fade into the wallpaper. We don't, we don't want to be seen. You know, we don't want to be seen extraordinary in that way. And so there's a mix of people in here with regard to that. But, but I believe everybody in this room, at, at the end of their life, want to believe or want they hope that their life was more than just ordinary and it had some extraordinary results. That that somehow how you lived your life was more than just blah, more than just dust in the wind. But that somehow you have, can have an extraordinary, extraordinary effect on others. Now here's the biblical truth. God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways when they embrace his plans. Think back of the people who've had the most profound effect on your life. Uh, most of the time, it's, you know, they're not governors or senators or, or, or all that successful in the eyes of the world, maybe. But, but I think about the people that have had the most impact on my life, extraordinary impact on my life. And most of the time, they're pretty ordinary people. But the one common denominator is that they have seized onto God's plan as their way of life. Ordinary people. Now see, that, that's, that's our vision. Ordinary people following Jesus. I believe ordinary people really following Jesus can have an extraordinary effect on this world. And, and if we're a church full of people, ordinary people following Jesus, we can see extraordinary things, not because we're extraordinary, but as we're following this extraordinary God, He can lead us into extraordinary things. Yeah. And that's the biblical story. You, you see it over and over. You can't help but see this theme in the Bible that God picks on, God picks out ordinary men and women and he uses them to do extraordinary things. And so this, this topic that I'm talking about this morning, this sermon, I could use any number of individual stories in the Bible. I, I could talk about, you know, Peter the fisherman. I, I, I could talk about John the young man that was just a follower of John the Baptist. I, I, I could talk about, um, you know, Daniel. I could talk about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. You know, in a lot of ways, these are just ordinary people, and God picks them out and uses them to do extraordinary things. But today we're going to talk about Today and the next week, we're going to talk about Gideon. Uh, who's heard of Gideon? Okay, you know Gideon's a judge, and, and so you had this this time after um, 
after Abraham and after Moses, you know, that Abraham is called and the people of Israel become this great nation in slavery in Egypt and, and then Moses leads them out and then there's Joshua and there's this great time of, uh, of leadership between Moses and Joshua where they go into the promised land and then you have this period in between Joshua of what we call the Judges. And there's this, there's this cycle in the life of Israel. And in the life of Israel, there, there's these times of great obedience, and then there's these times of falling away. Falling away. And, and as they fall away, God removes His blessings from them, and, and they begin to be oppressed by other people. And, and so you see this over and over. As a matter of fact, it becomes almost redundant in the book of Judges. As the people of Israel fell, and then they, God sends judgment, and then they repent, and then God sends a redeemer or a judge, and they come back into relationship with God, and things are good, and then they fell over and over. And Gideon is one of those stories. It's, it's in Judges 6, and, and, and it's, they're, they're beginning to worship. They're beginning to follow other idols, other gods. Now, I think we sometimes misunderstand these periods in Israel's history. In these periods of Israel's history, I don't believe that they fully stop worshiping uh, God but they begin to add other gods into the mix. See, the sin of Israel was not saying, oh, we're just going to ignore God, but the sin of Israel is, well, let's add all these other gods into the mix. And why do I say that? Because I think that's kind of where we live. Most of us would say, yeah, God is God, but oftentimes smaller gods begin to pop up in our life. And these idols would begin to pop up in the life of Israel. So let's say they begin to they put up Asherah poles, or they begin to worship the bells, and, and they begin to put up these idols to these other gods. And, and when they would do that, God would remove blessing, not because God was wanting to vindicate himself, but because God was bringing discipline into the life of people who were straying from the way. And in this discipline, other lands, other peoples would begin to persecute, would begin to invade and, and battle against the people of Israel. And like the Midianites or the Malachites or the Ites, any Ites you want to put in there, okay? And so that's what's going on. The people of Midian and the Amalekites are coming and they're beginning to oppress the people of Israel. And what they're doing is pretty simple. Anytime they would get crops to grow, they would destroy them. Anytime they would get animals in the field, they would kill them. And so the people of Israel, in Judges 6, it says that they were hiding in caves. They, 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 they were afraid for their life, and they were hiding from these invaders. And so then we begin to repeat the pattern you see in the book of Judges. that They begin to cry out to God, and, and God hears, and God responds. And God's first response in Judges 6, and this is kind of an interesting thing. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this this morning, but it's just fascinating. The first thing God does is He sends a prophet. The, the prophet is not the answer. Gideon is the answer. 
as I thought about that and I thought about this message, I, I think I kind of stand in that prophet's role. That, that I have a message from God. But, but for God to do extraordinary things, it won't be because of me, but it'll be because of you. It'll be when ordinary people begin to embrace what God has in mind for them and for this church, God can do extraordinary things. There's a limit to what a prophet can do. Um, and so God sends a prophet and he preaches and he, he proclaims that there's, there's more, that, that God's calling them to repentance. And then we have this fascinating story. And, and, and we find an angel of the Lord coming to Gideon. And, and if you don't know the story, and many of you know the story and you've heard the story, but I'm going to repeat it ju just for emphasis, just to remind us, and, and maybe if you've not heard the story, Gideon is thrashing wheat in a wine press. So, okay, so he's, he's at work. Well, you don't thrash wheat in a wine press. See, a wine press is above the ground, and, and to thrash wheat, you, you throw it in the air, and, and it separates what's good from bad, and what's bad flies away, and what's good is heavy, and it falls down. And so you do this someplace where it's airy, where there's wind, so something can happen. And so to be thrashing wheat in a wine press, underneath the ground, in a place where there's not a wind, it is not effective. And it's not because Gideon doesn't want to be effective, but it's because Gideon is afraid. He's a scaredy cat, Jay. That's just exactly what he is. But if you had all these Midianites and the Melchites and all these otherites chasing you, you'd be scared too, right? And so he's thrashing wheat, and the angel comes to him, and it's, it's, it's one of these images in Scripture where what God says doesn't match what appears to be reality. The angel says, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. <laughs> what? Yeah, I feel real brave right now. Uh, you know, put yourself in Gideon's spot. You know, in a lot of ways, some of these guys and gals that God uses, you got to have a little bit of pity on them, right? He didn't ask for this. Gideon wasn't praying, hey, please make me a mighty warrior. If anything, Gideon was praying, Lord, can you somehow thrash this wheat without any wind? <laughs> Hell, mighty warrior. Gideon answers, he says, you know, what, what do you mean the Lord is with me? If God was with us, then what is the deal with all these Midianites and the Malachites? Well, that is hard to say. Why are we being invaded? Why is our crops being burned? Why is our livestock being killed? Where are all the miracles? Why are we abandoned? Anybody ever been there? You know, in the life of our church, I, I don't know. Um, maybe it's just the usual life cycle of a church, but, but it seems like we've been hit with more illness than, than I ever remember as a pastor in a church. Anybody else feel that? That it seems like every day there's more and other people that, that we're hearing are, are sick. And, 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 and i got to imagine, sometimes I feel like, you know, where's all the miracles? 
You know, we're supposed to be under your protection and in your hand. And Lord, it seems like we're just on our own. And I think if you're thinking today, sometimes you feel like that. Where are all the miracles? Then the angel says this, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? <laughs> okay, Gideon says, God, where are you? And Gideon sa- God says, I'm here and it's time for you to go. And you're going to go and you're going to lead the people in this great battle. Gideon's response is classic. He says, listen, God, my family is the least of those in Israel, and I am the least of my family. Okay? You, you see, Gideon's got such a high self-esteem here, right? God chose him for his confidence and his bravery. The Lord said, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. <laughs> now, Gideon begins to, to take, put God, in essence, to the test. He says, okay, if this is true, I'm going to leave this place and I'm going to go, but, but you'll be here when I return. And I'm going to go get a sacrifice, and I'm going to come back, and you'll still be here. <laughs> I don't know. When, when I read that part of the story, I think Midian was, or, uh, Gideon was kind of hoping he'd be gone when he came back. What about you? You ever have that? You ever have God give you something to do and, and, you, and you think, if I pray long enough, <laughs> maybe God will change his mind. But Gideon comes back and the angel of the Lord's still there and he puts the sacrifice on a rock and the angel touched it with his staff and it's consumed with fire and then, poof, the angel of the Lord's gone. Of course, Gideon then begins to have, you know, not, not only is he concerned about the message, but he's beginning to concerned about what this means because Gideon says, uh-oh, I've seen God face to face. And he remembers what the Bible says about being able to see God face to face. To see God face to face means death. And God speaks to him. And I, it doesn't say how God speaks to him there. You know, it doesn't say if it's a voice he heard or something he felt, but somehow God communicated to Gideon. Do you believe God still communicates to us? God communicated to him. He said, Gideon, it's okay. Peace. God said peace before hippies did, by the way, okay? He said, shalom, peace. It's okay. I'm going to use you. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar, and then God spoke to him again. And God said, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to tear down these false idols. So once again, Gideon is obedient. And he doesn't do it. He's not, once again, he's not showing a lot of bravery. He does this in a nighttime raid, and he tears down all the idols. He tears down the Asherah pole. He tears down the altars to the bells. And then the next morning, the people in the town wake up, and they're destroyed. They ask around who did it, and they find out that it was Gideon. And they decide, well, we need to take care of Gideon. And they go to Gideon's household, and his dad... You know, I guess it depends on how uh, you, you look at this. I guess his dad defends him, and, and, and that's what you, you see. Most of your headings will say, Gideon's father, uh, you know, defends him. But in essence, Gideon's father says, Wait, well, you know, if he should die, Bell will kill him, right? <laughs> Why should we do anything? Uh, I don't see Gideon's father saying, You try to kill my son, you're going to contend with me. <laughs> but say, he says, You know, if, 
if Bell is really God, then why are you doing Bell's business? Let, let him take care of Gideon. So, so Gideon goes on and he, he, he begins to call out for others and, and others begin to gather and he does this thing with the fleece. I don't even know what a fleece is. What's a fleece? Where anybody know? Sheepskin. Okay, thank you. Puts it on the ground. He says, God, make it wet and the ground dry. I know this is your word. And, and he next, next morning gets up and the fleece is wet and the ground's dry. And the next morning he says, well, God, I don't want to tempt you, but can you make the ground wet and the fleece dry? And he's just being sure, right? Anybody ever wanted to be sure before you did something? And God did that. And then in the beginning of chapter 7, we won't get into to the rest of the story. In the beginning of chapter 7, you find 32,000 men with Gideon. The least of the least. Threshing wheat in a wine press. 32,000 people ready to go to battle for the people of Israel. Why? See, Gideon was ordinary. Um, I looked up the definition of ordinary, no special quality or interest. Gideon was ordinary. Gideon saw himself as ordinary, and there's nothing in this story to, to tell us anything other than Gideon was just an ordinary guy going about ordinary business that God picked out. So, so how does this ordinary guy become extraordinary? The first thing is this. Gideon took small steps of faith, not giant leaps. Now, now see, I think we think in giant leaps, and we, we think of getting to extraordinary or making an extraordinary impact. And, and it's not in the extraordinary leaps or the big leaps, but it's the small steps of faith that we take. So, so Gideon, what? He, 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 he says, wait. He listens he brings a sacrifice. He, 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 he builds an altar. He tears down idols. He, he makes an appeal. He, he lays out the fleeces. Step by step by step by step obedience. See, see there's a lesson here. Extraordinary obedience is not giant leaps. It's not extraordinary leaps. But obedience is taking the next right step. Can you say that with me? Obedience is taking the next right step. See, I, I think as a person, and, and maybe no one else is like this, but, but, but I tend to try to be, oh, what's over there or what's out there? And, and, and the point of it is not being faithful in what's not yet, but being faithful in the here and now. And oftentimes we become so consumed with what's over here and God's just asking us to be obedient in this moment. To, to get to extraordinary, you won't make a giant leap, but you'll be faithful in the moments and the times that you have. See, Gideon's example was this. He followed how God led and that's the secret of how Gideon became extraordinary. Wherever God led, in that day, Gideon followed. See, ordinary Gideon became an extraordinary leader because he was willing to follow. See, it's not about his brains. It's, it's not about his strength. It was going where God led. 
And it's the same for us. It's not about our brains. It's not about what we know. It's not about our strength. It's not about what we have. It's not about anything like that. Whatever you think you know, God knows more. If that's true, say amen, right? Uh, God is always smarter. And so the key is not relying on our own strength, but relying on God. Can we go back to where we began? God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways when they embrace his plan. Do you think that's true? And the key is not in the extraordinary, but the obedience in the ordinary. I think about forgiveness. Forgiveness is extraordinary. It is. It's extraordinary. And if you don't understand that forgiveness is extraordinary, then you've never really been hurt. When you've really been hurt by somebody you trusted, that you loved, and I've been there, you've been there, you ever been just let down, you ever been misused, you ever been abused, you ever been lied about by someone you loved? To get to the point of forgiveness is extraordinary. And I'm convinced that you can't get from hurt to extraordinary in one step. What's Jesus say when he talks about enemies? What's Jesus' first step? He says, pray. Pray for your enemies. Have you ever thought that, that, that maybe you've got this desire to, to get to the point of forgiveness with somebody, but, but you just can't get there? And you're thinking, well, if I get to the point of forgiveness, then I'll pray. You got it reversed. See, Jesus is saying, if you want to get to the point of forgiveness, you start with praying. You know, maybe you pray just how you feel. God, this person really hurt me, and this is what they did. And I want to get to this point of forgiveness, but I've got to tell you, I'm not there yet. Can you help me to begin to see them in a different way? Can you begin to help me to see how I might pray for them? Forgiveness is extraordinary, but it begins in the ordinary. What, what about radical generosity. You, you ever known those people that, that will just, you know, they give you the shirt off their back, right? You, you ever met that person that, you know, that they'll just give you anything. And, and, and honestly, when you meet those people, they're extraordinary, aren't they? Amen? <laughs> you know, they're life-changing. I think it's impossible to get to that point of radical generosity just from ordinary. But, but I believe there's steps that God gives us. Tithing. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, turning you off, I use the phrase. Tithing is a habit. It's an ordinary habit that allows God to change our perspective of our possessions. You know, tithing's... You know, tithing furthers the mission and the vision of the church. There's no question. And I always hesitate talking on tithing because it, 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 it comes across as self-serving. But can I tell you, tithing can free you of the tyranny of finances. 
that, that it's an ordinary step. It's the first step in beginning the process of, of bringing us to, to radical generosity. See, the point's not tithing. The, the to- point is a people who are radically generous with their resources and their times. You guys excited about that? I can tell you are. <laughs> it's true, folks. And if you, don't, if you don't believe that it's true, pray about it. You know, seek other counsel. I, and, I, you know, I, I'm not the end-all authority on everything, but, but I'm here to tell you that, that we live in a society where finances are pressing in and finances have more control of our minds and our activities and, and our thought processes than anything else. And tithing is a habit instituted by God. It's a habit, like Sabbath, that allows us to begin to be freed and be people who can practice radical generosity. What about radical service, selfless service? Selfless service is extraordinary. How do you get to the point of extraordinary service? I I think about, not not that I'm extraordinary. I don't think I'm extraordinary. I think I'm ordinary. But, 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 you know, I I, I think how God has led me in in service to him. You know what my first service opportunity was as an adult? I was an assistant in a kindergarten class with one student. (laughs) A, A special needs student. And the teacher just simply could not teach the class and have the special needs kid in there with her. And so it was at Vandalia, and my brother asked me if I would just go and sit with this kid. I don't think I did anything to impact him. He impacted me a lot, if you know what I mean. (laughs) But for some of you, you're waiting for that extraordinary call, that burning bush experience, and God's just wanting you to serve in ordinary ways and leading you on a path where you can become selfless in your service of Him. Ordinary people following Jesus live extraordinary lives. Uh, I, I think of Mary Gingery, or as we call her, our mission program. Um, you know, a lot, Mary's ordinary in a lot of ways but she's extraordinary in what she does from God and and to think of Mary you know and 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 where she's been and and how even denomination wide you know Jesus uh, the Jesus film Mary has a strong influence in the Jesus film that, that that's Mary has a greater reach than you she, she has a greater reach than even here okay just an ordinary person that's making an extraordinary impact for the kingdom because she's just being obedient to what God calls her to do. This past week, I was out to see somebody and, and, and they, they were talking about how somebody had a flat tire in front of their house and, and so they, they were going to church and so while they were, he went to church, uh, this, this person took the tire and had it fixed and put on their car and wouldn't, wouldn't let him pay anything. And, and, and you know, they, they were sharing how, because of what he'd done, <laughs> that they were kind of wavering, but they were recommitted because they couldn't believe somebody would be so generous and loving. I said, I'm going to share that. He said, well, you can't use my name. <laughs> 
all you selfless people that won't let me use your names. I gotta tell you, we need to know your names. I won't share his name. But he's an ordinary guy. And God's using him in extraordinary ways because he's being obedient in the moment. We've got a revival coming up in two weeks. And, and this is kind of the purpose of this, this sermon today. I was trying to think of what can I preach before revival. And you know, you know this is you know, revival can come and go. It can. And it can have big impact or little impact. But it depends on us. Amen? It's, I'll be honest, it's not going to be based on any advertisement in a newspaper. It's not. If we think that we're throwing money at something or doing anything like that will have an impact, what will have an impact is if ordinary people embrace God's way and will right now in this moment and use this opportunity. You're not going to find a better preacher than Dr. Manley. You're not. I mean, he's powerful, and it'll be significant if we let it be significant. God can do extraordinary things in our church if we embrace his plan. If we just, over the next two weeks, if we were just to say, okay, God, I'm praying, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Is there somebody I need to forgive? Is there a relationship in this place that I need to restore? My, my mom, you guys have not hardly, I think she's been here maybe one time. I can't remember if she's been here at all. Maybe she's not. But my mom, I, I have in my memory, my mom was one of those church ladies that if she ever thought that she offended, she offended you, she was, she was hugging you in the church and crying and asking for your forgiveness. My goodness, that's an awful thing to encounter, right? <laughs> but, but she was just so concerned that there would not be some barrier between her and someone in the church. That, you know, it just broke her up to think that was something that could be possible. I think we need people like that in our church that, that just begin to think, you know, Lord, if there's anything between me and my brother or my sister, can you reveal it? Because I don't want there to be any barriers when you want to move in our church. Maybe it's somebody you can invite. And, and, and maybe it's just, if you're going to invite somebody to church, here, here's my uh, recommendation. You better buy them dinner too, okay? Take them home for dinner, whatever. If you're going to invite them to church, I think it's a good thing. Hey, why don't we go have dinner, and then I've got a special event that I want to take you to. I've got you a free ticket somewhere. Well, I don't, don't do that. We don't want to be deceitful in this. Maybe it's a friend you want to invite. Maybe it's as simple as finding a place to serve. It's 940. Stand with me, if you will. Long-winded preachers. I can't stand them. Let me pray with you. God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways when they embrace his plan. Lord, help us today as we go from this place to um, reflect on what this means to us. Lord, we all want to make an impact in our, in our families, in our community, in our church, in our world. Uh, we, we want uh, to leave a legacy that is powerful and good and lasting. Lord, we may not want to stand out on the front lines and maybe not want to, to, to be singled out, but, but Lord, I believe all of us want to make a difference. 
So help us, Lord, to let go of our plans and grab hold of yours. Uh, to, to allow you to help us to see in the ordinary things where we can make an extraordinary difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.